And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, July 5th. Derek Van Riper, Al Melky are here. Hope we all had a great 4th of July weekend. If you celebrated, relax, whatever it is you did, hopefully uh, you're off to a nice start on this shortened week. On this episode, we dig into some recent debuts and upcoming promotions. Lots of prospects on the move. Got a few injury updates to pass along. We'll have a trending players segment, a level roundup of AA, my favorite level to do the roundup because you got guys who are possibly big leaguers by the end of this season or likely early 2023 within that group. Uh, Al, let's get started, though, with the debuts and promotions. An upcoming promotion, Brian Bayo. We've talked about him several times on this show, starting pitching prospect at the Red Sox organization, going to get the start on Wednesday against the Rays as injuries continue to pile up on that Red Sox rotation. They do, so that's providing the opportunity for Bayo right now. I still have some doubts about how many starts he's going to be able to make over uh, the, the remainder of the season, but... You know, there is still half a season, you know, pretty much exactly right now, half a season left for uh, for most teams. So I'm not sure why, but I just feel like the season is further along. <laughs> so uh, just because we can't envision uh, a longer term role for Bayo at this point doesn't mean that there can't be one. There's still, you know, three months left. So definitely a worthy ad, a worthy stash. I think uh, when and if he goes back down again. So I think he's definitely going to be one of the one of the key targets this weekend, unless he gets sent down in the interim. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the solutions here too for the Red Sox, a lot's going to depend on performance and how things are looking as the second half unfolds as well. But right now they're in second place in the AL East; they're 13 games back of the Yankees. But you know, to be a playoff team this year, I think the Red Sox need to shore up some. Some of the bullpen spots, especially. They've got a few success stories there, but I think some of the starters who don't stick as part of the core five in the second half with the presumably return of a healthy Chris Sale, uh, you know, with Nathan Evaldi coming back from his back injury, some of these guys are going to end up in the bullpen. And that's going to be really good for them as a team, even if it's not necessarily great for us as fantasy players in all cases. So I do think there's a few paths for some of the guys that have debuted recently. We saw Cutter Crawford pitch really well against the Rays on Monday. Uh, He's had a couple opportunities now. Josh Winkowski, who we've talked about, has had a couple of opportunities. So in addition to being, you know, depth up and down guys, I think there's a few bullpen solutions in this mix as well. But I think Bayo, so long as he has a spot on the big league roster, he'd be interesting in just about all mixed leagues. I mean, at least up to a 12-team mixed league, I would take the chance where available because I think the payoff could be big. We've seen really nice strikeout rates from him throughout his time in the minors. Yeah, uh, there's. it's not that there's no players left that are, are worth splurging on. Uh, I will say that after uh, getting Vidi Pasquantino in a couple of leagues this weekend, I'm awfully low on fab with half the season to go. Uh, but it's it's worth having saved some for, uh, for players like Bayo and 
some others that I'm sure we'll get to talking about. Really curious to see how Bayo's home run rate looks as he gets some time in the big leagues. He's one of those pitchers that misses a lot of bats, walks his fair share of guys, but has done a good job in the minors of keeping the ball in the yard. If he can do that in the big leagues, he's going to be a very good fantasy starter in pretty short order. Uh, Matthew Libertor in St. Louis continues to get opportunities as injuries to Jack Flaherty, among others, have left the door open for him. He's not pitched well so far. 566 ERA, 179 whip through his first five turns, I believe it is now, with the Cardinals. Thursday will mark his next big league opportunity. Now that you've seen it for a little bit, what are you doing with Libertor in leagues where you previously had some interest in him? Well, I think, uh, well, here's the thing. I didn't have a lot of interest uh, before, and I think that's partly just because of when Libertor made his initial debut, and it was a, a period when there were a lot of other prospects coming up. But, um, you know, the, the peripherals are, it's really, it's a mixed bag and in some ways better than I, I would have expected. So uh, he's not really on the 12-team radar for me yet, but I think that the opportunity is there, and he's shown enough at this point that uh, he's certainly worth picking up in 15-teamers where he is available. Yeah, I think he's really matchup dependent in the short term, so that's something that I was hoping wouldn't be the case. I know in the Eno Saris pitching plus model, Libertor doesn't stand out as having particularly great stuff at this stage, so that's a bit of a, a long-term concern, maybe something that brings the ceiling down a little bit. But I also think the Cardinals as a group have some pretty different characteristics that don't pop in that model. So it could be uh, something about their organizational approach, the pitches they have guys develop that could be a factor there. Uh, for example, with the start coming up against Atlanta this week, Libertor is probably not in my lineup in leagues where I'm rostering him anyway. Uh, if you look ahead to next week, if he makes another turn, he'd get the Dodgers at home. I don't really want to mess with the Dodgers, Matthew Libertor. And if it were part of a two-start week, the second start would at least be a home start against Cincinnati, but you really want to pick your spots carefully with him right now. With the K rate being low, the walk rate being high, and a bit of a home run issue to begin his career. We did see Garrett Hill pitch really well against the Guardians on Monday, made his debut with the Tigers. 26 years old, big K rate at AA this season, got some time at Toledo as well. And I think because he's a little older, I don't think there was a lot of hype around Garrett Hill going into this debut, so I'm just curious if there's anything that you saw that gives you some optimism about his chances of maybe sticking in the Tigers rotation or having some sort of fantasy impact here throughout the second half of the season. Well, I do think that there's an opportunity for him to stick in the rotation, and that's why I may be a little bit more interested in him than than some other pitchers right now, just because uh, with Alex Fido being sent down and uh, Tigers, of course, uh, having their own injuries, Ronnie Garcia recently being placed on the IL. You've already got Casey Mize and Matt Manning who have been there for for several weeks. Uh, so there's there's a definitely an opportunity for Hill to to remain there. And like you said, really great number numbers at Double A, pretty good number numbers at Triple A. And I I think if he had bombed against Cleveland, that uh, maybe I'd be dismissing those because again he is old for the levels, but. That's, that's a team that doesn't strike out much. Hill, granted, didn't get very many strikeouts. I think he got three in that start over six innings. But uh, he did get a lot of freezes. Uh, he, he showed a, a really good pitch mix in that start. So I think there's some things to like here. And definitely a, a must-add in AL only. I think he's worth considering a 15-teamers. 
Yeah, I think I'm keeping an eye on the schedule. Hopefully getting one more look at him before we have to make that decision. Probably a name that comes back up again on our waiver show on Friday afternoon. Next turn for Garrett Hill lined up for Saturday against the White Sox on the road uh, at the ballpark formerly known as U.S. Cellular Field, which was formerly known as Comiskey way back in the day. So there you go. Let's get to a few more recent debuts. Vinny Pasquantino, who was the most discussed player on the podcast over the past week, hit his first big league homer on Friday. Probably the most bizarre first home run I've ever seen a player hit. It hit the top of the fence and actually was ruled a home run, but uh, it kind of spun back into the field of play. And initially he was thrown out at second base, so it looked like his first big league hit was a single that he tried to extend into a double, (laughs) and then he was just out, and then turns out upon further review it was actually a home run so uh, congrats to Vinny Pasquantino for that can you recall a, a more bizarre first home run that a player's ever hit I, I cannot because I just don't remember ever seeing a first home run that had any kind of controversy at all like that uh, and I think that's the sort of thing that would stick out in my memory so I think it's easily the most bizarre first home run of a career that I have ever seen yeah We'll see how many more he can pop here over the course of the second half. Now, we talked about Derek Hall in Philadelphia on the waiver show this past Friday. And curious where you're falling on him as you get a longer look at how the Phillies have been using him. Uh, Not 12 teamers quite yet. And part of my concern with Hall is just how the the playing time is going to going to. Fall for him. He did uh, sit against it, uh, the first opportunity where the Phillies faced a left faced a left handed starter, so that would suggest that maybe there's a platoon role there. And of course, just wanting to see how the skills translate to the major leagues. Also, a 26 year old, just like uh, Hill that we talked about a few moments ago. So uh, obviously, a lot of very, a lot of power very early, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm yeah, I've got him on the. the the watch list for 12 teamers probably can't afford to keep him there for too long if he keeps this going now we've got a follow-up from a player that you put on the rundown maybe just a week or so ago now David VR in the Giants organization debuted against the Diamondbacks on Monday he's getting an opportunity at the big league level after putting together a 284 409 633 slash line that is a career best pretty much across the board for him I think maybe rookie ball might be the only exception uh, really good numbers at AAA. 21 home runs for VR. Could offer up some cheap power, at least in deeper leagues. I'm really curious to see what the role actually looks like. He's a, a right-handed hitter, so it's possible that he plays a little bit more on the small-sided platoon, especially when you think about how much the Giants like to mix and match around their infield. Yeah, that is my concern. Uh, you know, even if he were left-handed, I would be worried about the role for VR just because, again, the way that the Giants use their roster. Great for the team context, very frustrating in terms of finding really good performers for fantasy. But I suppose, yeah, this is another player for the watch list. Uh, maybe not even so much for 12-teamers right away because I just don't think that he's got that much visibility in uh, those leagues and anything shallower as of yet. But definitely somebody to, to watch. And uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll, we do have the opportunity to see how this plays out for a full week before we go to Fab again. So I think that'll say a lot about whether or not he's worth uh, an aggressive bid in 15-team leagues. I think the one thing to keep an eye out, too, is where he's playing defensively. The debut on Monday came at second base. He's 
listed as a third baseman a lot of places, so he could have multiple positions pretty quickly, even if he ends up playing just a couple of times each week for this Giants team. A few injuries to pass along. Cade Cavalli returned after nearly two weeks off. The Nationals are really trying to manage his workload. They did, I think, technically put him on the IL in the minors with minor arm soreness, but doesn't seem like there's anything actually wrong health-wise, just a way of keeping his innings where they want them over the course of this season. Uh, one of the favorites on this podcast, Ezekiel Tovar, has been slowed by a groin injury recently at A Hartford, so he's barely played on their recent homestand. So for now, kind of an, in a day-to-day sort of situation, uh, Diego Cartaya, the really talented catching prospect in the Dodgers organization, left a game over the weekend with a hand or wrist injury. He's currently at high A Great Lakes. And Corbin Carroll, you may have noticed, has not played in a game since June 24th. He was actually placed on the COVID IL at AA Amarillo. So that's been a couple of weeks now since we've seen Carroll. All the best to him as he hopefully gets back on the field soon. A couple other league level changes and items of note. Francisco Alvarez, the catching prospect in the Mets system, has been promoted to AAA and I think I may have been dismissing the possibility that we could see him this year, but especially in light of the success that we're seeing Adley Rutschman have in recent weeks, MJ Melendez looking really good right now in Kansas City. I know we've had an opportunity to get into some batted ball numbers from Alvarez at the lower levels because of uh, Port St. Lucie being a spring training facility for the Mets, and Francisco Alvarez hits the ball really hard. He hits He hits the ball like a big leaguer. I'm really curious now. I mean, do you think there's a chance that in NL only leagues and maybe two catcher mixed leagues, Francisco Alvarez is on our radar before the end of this season? I'm starting to think so. And like you, I had completely dismissed that possibility. Uh, but given that now he's just uh, one step away from the major leagues, it doesn't seem totally implausible, especially since that's offensively anyway, one of the, the few holes in the Mets lineup. I mean, they've got a good defensive catcher in, in James McCann, but uh, would certainly do a lot to add some pop to the lineup to get Alvarez in there. I also have seen it speculated that he could fill the DH role, but they've also got Mark Vientos, who looks about Major League ready, who could do the same thing. So it's a pretty confusing situation, but that's all just a really long way to say that really for the first time all year, I'm starting to think that that this is a possibility. And I think that the only reason that I'm not more optimistic about it is that he's still just 20 years old. And we've seen uh, a good number of 20-year-old players, uh, 20-year-old hitters especially, reach the majors and have some success right away. But as a catcher, I just wonder if that's the the route that the, that the Mets want for him. Again, unless they start him off as a DH. Yeah, it is more aggressive, it seems like, to move a catcher this fast, but it's one of the spots, as you said, in that lineup that could actually use the upgrade. They don't necessarily have to play him every day if they bring him up at the very end of the season. They could use him as a you know, backup, a part-time player, and just see how it goes. And if it goes well, use him in more prominent spots, perhaps into October. And if not, then you know, kind of carry him as that third catcher in the playoffs and only bring him up in case of emergency. Uh, Gabriel Arias got sent back to AAA in the Cleveland organization. He was really more of a mono league sort of player for 
short-term purposes anyway, but just a heads up in case you happen to have him on your roster in those formats. Cody Morris, one of the pitching prospects for the Guardians that I was really interested in back during the winter. He's been sidelined by a shoulder injury, but recently progressed to throwing bullpen sessions, which bodes well for his chances of maybe getting some competitive innings here at some point during the second half of the season. And one more demotion, Yvonne Herrera, the young catcher in the Cardinals organization, was optioned back down to AAA. The Cardinals bringing up Austin Romine to work as part of their rotation behind the plate. So Yvonne Herrera probably back up and up for good at some point in 2023. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to a few trending players, Al. Let's start with some players maybe going the wrong direction. I've been very patient with Josh Lowe. I've been less patient with Vidal Brujan. And both of those guys are playing a bit less than expected for the Rays right now. I thought with the injuries that this team was dealing with that maybe those players would both have prominent roles at this stage. We're seeing a good bit of Harold Ramirez even against righties, which I think is working even more against Lowe than it is against Brujan right now. I'm just curious when you see players in this situation who are fighting for every single start they can possibly get, are you comfortable cutting them even though their long-term ceilings might be quite a bit higher than the players who are currently playing ahead of them on their own roster? Now, are you talking dynasty leagues only or... Thinking more redraft here because I think in dynasty, you're still playing the long game and, you know, this is... This is the kind of window where if someone in a keeper or dynasty league lets one of these players go, I'm more interested in stashing them because a month from now, the situation could look totally different. I think there's a very good chance that at least one of lower Bruhan gets traded. Yeah, I think that's um, quite likely. And yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because it is a very different calculus. I wouldn't really be opposed to dropping either Lowe or Bruhan, especially Bruhan, because I think you and I have been on the same page in terms of having more doubts about his his major league readiness but if i were strapped for a spot in a 15 teamer low would at the very least be a candidate to be dropped there uh despite the uh the the high uh the, the high upside uh and it, you know it's dependent too on what your your position is in the standings and what you're trying to do because uh if you there's you may be more inclined to take a big risk with a player like low if you have some some ground to make up but Especially if I was contending, I, th- I would feel pretty good about uh, about cutting low. And just to get back to what you were talking about in terms of expectations of playing time, I don't think I certainly did not expect Isaac uh, Isaac Paredes to be uh, an everyday player 
at this stage. So there's a lot of things with him and Harold Ramirez uh, that that haven't played out the way that I think some of us anticipated just a few weeks back. Yeah, and Kevin Kiermaier being healthy again also adds another layer of complexity to sorting out who is going to play and how much they're going to play as part of that outfield rotation. So just a situation that's been more frustrating than I expected. I really thought Josh Lowe could do a little bit more than he's done with the opportunities so far this season. Some other trending players going in the right direction. Miguel Vargas, who seems like he gets a mention on this show every other week, maybe on average. Now up to about 25% rostered on CBS. Did see Justin Turner have a couple big games at the end of the week last week. But the key for me with the Dodgers is that it's not just Justin Turner who has underperformed through the first half. Max Muncie has as well. We've talked about him a few times and it's all health for me. It's the elbow. I don't think Max Muncy's a bad player. I think Max Muncy is an injured player. I think it's just a question of whether the Dodgers want to actually give Vargas a regular run in the second half or if they want to address that position uh, on the infield by just making a trade for a more established veteran and wait until next year to possibly give Vargas an opportunity. Well, and it's a little analogous to me to the uh, Francisco Alvarez situation because the Mets are also a team that I could see addressing catching through a trade. So uh, if it were a different organization, I might see a a clearer path for Vargas, but I am a little skeptical. And I'm also, I I think you make a good point about health with uh, Muncie and Turner because like you said, Turner has has been hitting better of late. Muncie is one of the more perplexing players to figure out this year because it just seems like the peripherals should be supporting a much better stat line than they are. And I think that if he does uh, get healthy, that Muncie could could have a very good second half. And the Dodgers just don't strike me as a team that would give up on him if he were healthy. So I'm, a, I'm definitely a skeptic in terms of Vargas's playing time. He's playing pretty well at AAA so far this season. Age 22 season, he'll turn 23 in November. But 13 homers, 8 steals, a 15.5% K rate, a walk rate that's now just under 12%. It's a 120 WRC+, plus if you're looking for that catch-all number. So not quite as dominant as he was at high A and AA a season ago, but at the highest level in the minor leagues. Certainly numbers you're happy with if you've got Vargas stashed away in a keeper or dynasty league. It's still just very shaky as to whether or not he's going to get a prolonged chance with the Dodgers in the months ahead. Yeri De Los Santos, I think is worth the mention, not even rostered in 5% of CBS leagues, Al, but it seems like he's the preferred stash in the Pittsburgh bullpen for anybody who's trying to speculate on the possibility of a David Bednar trade at the deadline or a possible slide out of the closer role. I think the latter seems pretty unlikely to me. David Bednar looks like a legitimately very good reliever when everything's working. Uh, So obviously right now, De Los Santos is on the COVID IL, so this is more of a stash for the future. How often do you stash relievers like this trying to get ahead of the curve, especially in keeper and dynasty leagues? I think in redraft, we see people do this every year in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. But I feel like speculating on future closers and keeper and dynasty leagues is one of the more difficult things to do. It is. And because it's so difficult, I really don't do it very much. And I am pretty active on that front in redraft leagues. And we, we talk about that periodically, how it is important if you can get an extra week or two out ahead of the curve, save yourself some fab. Uh, but in dynasty leagues, I just think that there's so much that can change over the course of an off season or the, the latter part of a, of a current season that 
I just direct my resources elsewhere. And maybe that's to my detriment, but it's just not, it, it seems like there's more risk than reward in doing that. Yeah. I think my first clear memory, at least as a kind of a grown up playing fantasy baseball, trying to get a closer for the future, was trying to stash Mark Melanson when he was a Yankees prospect because he was supposed to be the replacement for Mariano Rivera. And Melanson ended up going on to have a good career, but if you were waiting in a keeper league for that to play out, it took several years longer than expected for Melanson to actually become a relevant source of saves in our leagues. So that's that's my old, old, old cautionary tale. I'm sure there are plenty of others uh, between the time that happened and today. One more trending player to get here. It's Esturi Ruiz, listed as a second baseman a lot of places and actually playing exclusively in the outfield this season. So check carefully to see where you can actually use him. He's approaching 30% rostered on CBS right now. And Ruiz was the best qualified hitter at AA this season when he was promoted, 179 WRC+. He's basically doing all the same things he was doing at that level in his first 23 games at AAA El Paso. Very good plate skills. He's drawing walks. He's not striking out a lot. Showing a little bit of power and running a lot. Stolen bases, of course, really difficult for us to find. If Ruiz gets an opportunity with the Padres, it seems like there are a lot of ways for him to make value, but the expectation would be that he could be a difference maker in that one category. Yeah, it's it's awfully tempting. I mean, just you know, ridiculous pace of uh, of stolen bases, and I think there is an opportunity for him there. And you know, I think that we've all maybe rooted for Nomar Mazzara a little bit because he really came out of the blue to to snag a, a regular role with the Padres. But I don't think that he's performing at a level that would you know preclude Ruiz not only getting promoted but filling a similar role in his stead. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that he's one one of the uh, prospects who's still in the minors who's really worth keeping very close tabs on and saving a little bit of fab for. I think the other thing with Ruiz, I mean, obviously the stolen bases points to someone who generally runs well and that checks out in terms of speed grades. Fangraphs has a 70 grade on Ruiz's speed, but that outfield time has mostly been in center field, which could be a little bit of pressure longer term on Trent Grisham. I know the last month has been better than the first two or three months were for Trent Grisham this season, uh, but depending on where that opportunity is in the outfield, Ruiz can play all three spots. It's just interesting that they've used him so much as a center fielder this season. Let's get to our level roundup. We're digging into double-A on this episode. Bo Naylor, who also, like Ruiz, was promoted out of double-A fairly recently, was having an amazing season at that level. A 20.5% walk rate. It was a 271, 427, 471 line. And really, it put him back on the map as an intriguing prospect for the future. Whereas, you know, just even six months ago, it felt like Naylor's long-term appeal might have been limited only to mono leagues once he got the opportunity. Now I think there's some mixed league interest in him again. Absolutely, and uh, especially in points in OBP leagues, uh, definitely a a nice turnaround for Naylor. And uh, yeah, somebody I had kind of given up on, but uh, you know, especially at the catcher position, uh, anywhere you can find potential offense, that's that's an interesting player. And he was doing damage um, in a big way at Double A. He's carried it over to Triple A. Seventeen percent walk rate through his first eleven games. There, one sixty-two WRC plus K rate down slightly. Popped a couple of home runs already, and a catcher that can steal some bases. Double-digit steals while at Double A 
back in 2021. 11 steals in just 52 games this year at the same level. So nice to see a catcher that can contribute in that area and adding some more depth to that young group of catchers we've talked about a few times over the course of this season. Logan O'Hoppy in the Phillies organization. Is this the Reading effect? 14 home runs at AA so far this season. Also has five steals. It's only 59 games. O'Hoppy turned 22 back in February. I look at this guy as one of the best trade pieces for the Phillies if they're actually going to try and add players at the deadline in early August. It would seem so because I haven't seen anything about uh, the Phillies moving him off of catcher and uh, they've got that uh, pretty well covered with JT Romuto. So uh, yeah, I would agree. It would be, uh, I think in a way, nice to to see him get a change of of, uh, organization uh, at the deadline. And Ohapi is just, it messes with my head as a name, but that is the correct pronunciation according to the pronunciation guide if you're looking for him. I think he's he's also now one of those players. If you're in a league where 200 prospects are rostered, Logan Ohapi is probably one of them at this point. And then we've got one really high-end prospect putting together a fantastic season at AA. We have not talked about Jordan Walker much on this podcast this season. He's a third baseman in the Cardinals organization. The age-to-level performance so far is actually just incredible. Walker just turned 20 in late May. He's hitting 312 with a 404 OBP and a 500 slugging percentage, 7 homers, and 15 steals over 65 games. At double A this season, the Cardinals have been pretty aggressive with their promotions of him overall. He only had 55 games at high A to end last season, and that was with good overall results, but a strikeout rate that was at 27%. So to see the improvement in that category, given how young he is with everything else really falling into place, Jordan Walker looks at the kind of player that if they were redrafting the 2020 draft, he'd go much earlier than that 21st overall pick. Yeah, and now the the big question is just where is there room for him in the Cardinals uh, the, the Cardinals lineup because his primary position has been third base, and then that's obviously uh, spoken for. He has DH some this year, so he started twelve games at the, at the DH, and that's really been a thing that for a long time I opposed the DH uh, in the National League, but now that it's here for at least for fantasy purposes, it's nice to always see that one possible avenue for prospects to get it or for a prospect to move an older player into. Uh, But the Cardinals, as always, they just always find uh, players to create such uh, incredible depth. And they have that again this year. Uh, I didn't foresee Brendan Donovan being a major contributor in 2021. And yet uh, here we are. And uh, we've talked in the past about Alec Burleson and they're not seemingly being any room for him. And uh, they'll obviously find room for for Walker, uh, but probably not in 2021. But it's just a question of how that's going to happen. Yeah, I think the... The thing that I hadn't really considered about the Cardinals long term, and it still seems like a long shot to me because the the average annual value of the deal is still so high, but Nolan Arenado does have an opt-out at the end of this season. And he's playing at such a high level again right now. He's on track to be almost an eight-win player. They're could be a chance that Nolan Arenado opts out or at least you know goes back to the table and gets a year or two added on to the end of the deal. Maybe it's not a full-on opt-out where he becomes available to everyone in free agency, but I don't know. Like I guess there's the there's a chance that that path in St. Louis opens up whereas a year ago I didn't really see a path for Arenado to possibly opt out of that deal so with Walker yeah I'm just curious to see as he gets closer to the big leagues where else will the Cardinals play him 
as they try and figure out how the pieces probably fit at the big league level because more likely than not, third base already is covered by the guy playing that spot right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get to a few pitchers of interest. This will surprise absolutely no one. Yuri Perez, the top pitching prospect in the Marlins organization, is still carving up double A. He's got a 321 ERA, a .96 whip. 77 strikeouts now in 56 innings. And those numbers, you hear numbers like that in the minor leagues and kind of say, okay, yeah, that that sounds like a good pitching prospect. He's 19 at double A. He turned 19 back in April. So he's barely 19 years old, tearing up that level. To me, this is the profile of a future top 10 fantasy starter. It is, it is. And uh, because he's still so young, I don't, see that uh, the Marlins will call him up this year and they don't really, I think, have a, a compelling reason to. But uh, yeah, I th- just imagine how high he'll be going in redraft uh, leagues next year in, in March drafts um, with the kind of numbers he's putting up at the age he's putting them up. It's uh, I can't wait for him to get to the major leagues. I just want to know if there's a chance that they actually bring him up this year. I mean, if He's going to throw those innings anyway. Why not throw him at the big leagues? Marlins right now at the time of this recording, two below 500. So they're 11 back of the Mets in the NL East. I think if the Marlins fancy themselves a playoff team, they probably see it more as the last wild card, which is still within a reasonable reach for them. So I could, I guess I could see them saying, we don't need you to go to AAA. We need you to get guys out here. The Marlins have the too-much pitching problem. They could also use some pitching to actually acquire some help on the offensive side, get another upgrade, that core group of position players. But Yuri Perez looks every bit the part of a future ace and continues to put up great numbers. Another player that's been really good at double-A on the pitching side, and maybe he's getting a little less attention than Yuri Perez, is Taj Bradley in the Rays organization. This is the third straight level for Bradley where he has posted a sub-2 ERA and more than a strikeout per inning. And the thing that's really impressive is he's doing this with the best walk rate of his career so far as well. 
all the signs right now point to Taj Bradley being that next really high-impact raised pitcher probably coming up at some point in 2023. But we've seen them break guys in as relievers. We've seen them put guys in really important spots at the end of seasons and in the postseason before. So this also kind of falls into the never-say-never category for me. Right, right. I mean, we saw that with uh, Shane Boz a year ago uh, towards the end of the season. So uh, I don't really expect that with Bradley this year. But yeah, I suppose we should say never say never. And you point out about the three consecutive uh, stops with a a sub two ERA. And it's um, it's been largely BABIP driven. So when you just go to the the, the, the three key indicators that uh, the pitcher has a great deal of control over, which is the strikeout walk and ground ball rates. They're they're good, but they're not uh, obscene in the way that uh, uh, we've seen with some other pitchers, like Yuri Perez, for example. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he'll be a very good pitcher at the major league level. I don't expect to see him this year, uh, but maybe not quite the ceiling of like a Shane Boz, which yeah. is not not which is you know not anything that should be considered any sort of insult. But if you're going McClanahan. Boz, Taj Bradley as your first three going into next season or early next season. That's a really good trio to have set up for a long time, potentially atop that rotation. And oh yeah, that Tyler Glasnow guy will be back by then too. So uh, the Rays could have one of the nastiest rotations in the entire league in a very small amount of time. A quick follow-up, we talked about Reese Olsen and the Tigers organization maybe a month or so ago as a bit of a surprise. He's still pitching really well. 395 ERA doesn't quite reflect how dominant he's been in terms of strikeouts. 103 strikeouts in 66 innings so far at this level, and a 7.3% walk rate is actually an improvement from what he did at the same level a season ago. I have to imagine with all the shuffling in the Tigers organization, we're probably going to get a look at what Reese Olsen can do at AAA Toledo in the second half of the season. I would think so. I mean, he's he certainly earned it, and I don't. I'd be very surprised with another move up to the major league level, and the Tigers are not really contending for anything. So I don't see that there's an incentive there. But it'll be interesting to see how much more uh, attention that he gets over the second half because he has been really under noticed and underrated. And with the season he's putting up, he could be somebody that becomes 12 team relevant in, in drafts come, uh, come next spring. Yeah. I want to see if he gets a clearer path to the rotation between now and then, but definitely a more interesting name today than he was at the beginning of the season. Uh, here's a name that came from a Corey Brock mailbag on the athletic Taylor Dollard, who, I think on some list was fringy for the top 10 of the Mariners organization entering the season, their prospect rankings. Interesting pitcher because I think the command is good. The pitch arsenal is deep. He throws a ton of sliders. That's easily his best pitch based on everything that I've read so far. And long term, I think there's a very good chance because of the command and the depth of the arsenal that he remains a starter. There's always the risk that in the right situation, or the wrong situation for us as fantasy players, that he's sort of a a bulk follower type, depending on what else a team has around him. But a fifth rounder from that 2020 draft out of Cal Poly, Taylor Dollard, I think is going to see some big league innings, even if it's in more of an up and down role for the Mariners in the second half. 
Well, when you consider that when George Kirby got called up, and I think this is something that we learned uh, directly from Corey, that it came down between Kirby and Levi Stout. And and Stout's having, uh, at least in terms of peripherals, uh, a nice season at double A. He's got a, a 481 ERA, but uh, the, you know, the peripherals are fine. But I mean, Dollard's right there. Uh, having a, a very similar type of year, and I would argue maybe better. And the ERA, uh, you know, he certainly had uh, a much better year in terms of ERA. So if Stout was considered that close to the majors uh, earlier in the year, you have to wonder how aggressively uh, the Mariners might move Dollard. Right. And this is another team that, because of their depth in their system and because of where they see themselves right now, Jerry Depoto being a very active trader. They're two below 500 entering play on Tuesday. They could also be trading to get better in the short term. And in that case, Dollard is the kind of prospect that they might be willing to part with to get those upgrades. So I just the name that I think is really interesting. I saw him on James Anderson's prospect list, kind of in the back of the top 400, someone that could actually creep up just a bit more as we see what he does at the AAA level, probably at some point in the near future. But it would not surprise me at all if he gets a taste of the big leagues with the Mariners. A deep sleeper, though, for you, Al. Another one from the Angels system, which I started thinking about this. It might not be that they're getting better at developing pitching. It might just be that they drafted so many pitchers that you you draft twice as many pitchers as you normally do, and you end up with twice as many breakouts as you used to. Uh, In this instance, it's Coleman Crow. had to say that name like five times before actually recording the podcast today because Coleman Crow messes with my head as someone who is you know familiar with the work of Cameron Crow. The story here is the walk rate is down to about six percent, nearly a strikeout per inning so far. It's a 334 ERA at a 109 whip. I guess it's more of a question than an answer, but are you buying any of this success from the Angels, or is this really just the volume-based strategy being borne out this season <laughs> with a few pop-up prospects? See, I, I hadn't really considered that as an explanation, so I had been thinking, oh, I guess you know maybe they are figuring this out with pitching, but may, maybe your uh, your theory is a better one. So uh, I don't know. I had been uh, going the other way just because we are seeing a lot uh, a lot greater frequency of uh, intriguing pitching prospects coming up through the system. Yeah, and Coleman Crow was a 28th round pick from the 2019 draft. So this this one maybe fits more into the development success based on where they drafted him, and he wasn't just part of that. Let's only draft pitchers draft either. Um, interesting stuff so far. Pretty good command. Looks like multiple breaking pitches. The question in the past has been fastball velocity, so we'll have to see where that comes in as we get more looks at him. But a name that was nowhere near my radar on uh, at the beginning of the season that is putting up a nice season at AA and doing it at an appropriate age, too. He's just 21 years old. I won't be 22 until December. So Coleman Crow in the Angel system, our deep sleeper for this week. Uh, We have to wrap it up. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Al's got a big prospect column coming up later this week, right? So we've got to be – is it later this week? Maybe by the time you're hearing this podcast. Okay, yeah. I thought I knew it was coming soon. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. You'll be able to check out that piece plus everything else that we have going on the site right now. I know John Legeza has some rest of season rankings that just went up recently. You can check those out. If you're getting ready for fantasy football already, the draft kit has already launched for this season plus 
NBA free agency, all the other sports that we cover. Lots of great stuff, all for one low price. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with Under the Radar on Wednesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.